Welcome to the latest United We Stand. I'm Andy Mitten, and there's a rare break. Well, a break. Four days without a game now for Manchester United until the Europa League match against Real Sociedad at Old Trafford on Thursday night. And given there's a four-goal advantage there, I would expect to see more changes and fringe players given a chance. Not that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might have much choice as being missing players, and we do not know the effects of COVID on the squad yet after several of the coaches were forced to isolate, meaning that Lee Grant came as a goalkeeping coach and Nicky Butt was also on the bench for the 3-1 win against Newcastle. 3-1 win against Newcastle, well, that sounds decent, doesn't it? The United went back up to second after Leicester had beaten Aston Villa earlier on in the day. 49 points after 25 games, that's 14 more points than at this point last season. 53 goals, United are the top scorers in the league, but, 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 there's so many buts, and we're not talking about Nicky. At half-time, it was one all. it was another poor first half, United did, which teams really struggle to do, and that's make Newcastle United, who are in 17th, look like a decent side, but Steve Bruce's team came to Old Trafford, they pressed high, they really caused Manchester United problems and it was another oh no here we go again it can't be another Sheffield United another West Brom where even though Newcastle played completely differently and don't sit back the result anything less than a win would have been a really bad uh, result it would have meant one win in the last six league matches and you can see the mood is always on a knife edge had Solskjaer's team not won against Newcastle. You would have seen a really big increase in Oli out. He's got to go. And because the team did win, you don't see that. And it's weird because should so much be on so little? I know there are breaking points, but the mood just swings wildly. It's a, it really is a seesaw. And that, that has actually been a trend throughout Solskjaer's time. At Old Trafford, you get these these runs of good form, and then you get these dips where the mood is filthy among so many people. And it's only a month ago that I walked out of Old Trafford after the Liverpool Cup game, and I think I tweeted something like, "This team's really coming together now. You know, we're top of the league. They've not Liverpool, the champions, out of the FA Cup, and things were looking extremely positive." A few things have changed that. Manchester City just keep winning and winning and winning. They're running away with the league. It means that United are now 75-1, to 1, I think, to win the league this year. It just doesn't look like it's happening at all. City winning everything. And I remember speaking to someone on the football side of the club a month or so ago, and that person saying, we just need to stay within five points of City and hope that they can bust like they usually do when they get into the latter stages of the Champions League. Well, City went 10 points clear last week by beating Everton. And Everton played well. City just blew them away. And when United played well against Everton, Everton got back into the game and got that late equaliser at Old Trafford. So, small margins, big difference. And... I think if you're looking at the league table and seeing Manchester United a second, that's definite progress. You can also say that while City are so good, Liverpool are so bad. They lost a fourth consecutive league game 
at home to Everton at the weekend. And I didn't know any United fans who thought that the team would finish above Liverpool this season. But now, there's nine points clear. And Liverpool keep on losing. I suppose United need to look at the teams below rather than the one above because City aren't losing anything at the moment. I think if United were to finish second and, and win a cup, we could say that there's been progress this season, especially if they can put another 10 points on to last season's total, which was only 66 points. That was low, but it was good enough to finish third. But while the team are second, Leicester City have got the same number of points, and that's the team who United will play in the FA Cup in a few weeks away. Uh, uh, whatever's Leicester's grounds called now, it's not Filbert Street, is it? What's it called now? King Power Stadium and that'll be a tough one but what do you expect in the last day of the FA Cup at least you know not playing Manchester City again who the one team who are clearly better than Solskjaer's men so why did the team keep starting so badly it's a reoccurring trend is it because opponents know that they can damage Manchester United that Old Trafford is not a fortress anymore that the team are better away from home then they are at home. Look at Newcastle. They pressed. They had success. Alan St. Maxim, Maximum, he was one of the best players on the pitch. He wasn't the best. He didn't produce quite the same moments that Marcus Rashford did to give Manchester United the lead and how that lead was needed because the team had been absolutely stinking up until that point. But St. Maximum deserved the equaliser. And at half-time, it was one-all. But United were much better. And I say Manchester United, because if you walk around the northeast of England and say United, it means Newcastle United. And they're a huge club, and they deserve to be far better than 17th in the table. Their average crowd in normal times is 52,000. They're one of the best-supported teams in Europe. They haven't won a trophy since 1969. And they still take thousands away got really good crowds at home, the ground's in a brilliant location right in the middle of the city centre and just missing going to pack stadiums as I talk about Newcastle and what a decent place St James's Park is to watch football, although the away end is at the end of a, like a 15 flights of steps, right up with beautiful views over the city of Newcastle, the time and over to Gateshead. But after about an hour, I think just after Dan James had been spun by that man again, St Maximum, Manchester United did improve. They got the two goals. Bruno scored one, got an assist as well. Didn't have his best game by any stretch, but maybe that's what great players do. They can still impact on matches. One of the goals was a penalty. Nemanja Matic improved, became more of a creative force. He was starting his first game since... That home defeat against Sheffield United, that's because McTominay's out, Paul Pogba's out. So United have been pretty fortunate with injuries so far this season. And this is probably the worst point for missing players at the moment. Cavani had to sit out as well. Obviously Phil Jones. Phil Jones has had to sit out the whole season more or less. And... A 3-1 win, well, it's a decent scoreline. Where were the encouraging areas? Um, Dan James, pretty poor in the first half, but got better and better. Uh, he got another goal as he scored in Turin uh, midweek. So 
he, he was someone who really needed to find his form. And after last season finished, when the team flew back from Cologne to Manchester, after that disappointment against Seville, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was having a word with Dan by the baggage carousel in the private terminal at Manchester Airport, just saying, I need more from you. I want you to rest. I want you to come back focused. And I need more from you next season. I need much more from you. And I think because Ollie brought him in, he's got Dan James's back and he's still relatively inexperienced. But after that very good start, when he first came to the club, he faded badly. And this season has not been a good one for him. But he finished the Newcastle game strongly. He's always got loads of energy. And it helps, obviously, that he's, he's scoring as well. I quite like it when I see... Welsh United fans buzz him when he does well because the club have got a history of having great players from Wales and they're clearly proud of him and I like that I think it's a good thing uh, when you see that and Ollie spoke well of him uh, after the game and he said it's been a very good week for him he's been working hard we've always targeted a few games for, for him that's Dan with his X Factor, there are games where we feel we need his energy and we needed it. He gave us the threat that in behind, he gives us the whiff and he gives us energy defensively. I think that defensive point is a good one because he came back and covered for Aaron Wambasaka um, really well. And Dan James himself said, I've been on the sidelines a lot, but I'm doing everything I can to get back into the team. I am patient. You've got to be. Uh, what else was positive towards the end of the game? Well, the debut of 17-year-old forward, Jordi Shola Shoritire. And Shoritire is the pronunciation which was requested by his father a few weeks ago. I think everyone was calling him Shortire. And he came on. Uh, Solskjaer said of him, it's in our DNA, it's what we do at Manchester United. It's important. Our kids know when they're good enough, they're old enough. Scholler has been training with us now for a little while and he's done really well. This was the next step up. I'm sure he'll remember his five or six minutes on the pitch tonight. As I wrote in an article a few weeks ago, both him and Hannibal Medgebury have been the best in training for the under-23s. We've got a big interview with the under-23s manager, Neil Wood, in the next issue of United We Stand. He speaks really well. I've got a little bit of sympathy for him because now he... He loses his best players. If he does his job well, then it punishes him because players like Scholler move up to play with the the first team. But the first team is always what it should be about at United as a priority. But Scholler is brilliant. I think he's got a hat-trick against Blackburn in the 23s. Uh, he's, the 23s are scoring lots of goals. They've really found um, form. So... That's encouraging to see. It'd be great if one of them young lads can come through and properly establish himself in the first team. I pause a little bit because Brandon Williams came through and struggled to establish himself. Mason Greenwood had an explosive first season. I do think he'll make it, and I think he's done well in the last month when he's been coming on. Uh, But if we could add another one or two, then that would be very, very encouraging. So... A decent weekend, all things considered, with Liverpool dropping points, Chelsea dropping points. 
West Ham under David Moyes, doing really well. I think David is showing that he's a decent manager. He's not going to be scarred with that poor nine months at Old Trafford hanging over him all the time. I know he still invokes some pretty strong opinions among United fans, but he's doing well at West Ham. He's taken Jesse Lingard on loan now. Jesse's doing really well. Jesse's another person who attracts strong opinions and a lot of criticism from Manchester United fans. Some of it at times with good reason, with his social media, didn't always help himself. And I felt that he was being poorly advised at times, but he's really wound that back in. And I think his social media output has been, well, apart from that chicken pistachio advert, turkey pistachio advert, sorry, has been pretty sensible for the last year or two. But there's clearly a player there who can do very well for a very good Premier League team, which means that someone will pay a lot of money for him. And the more he carries on doing as he's doing at West Ham, the more someone's going to be willing to pay we thought he might have been 5, 10, 15, 20, you know, <laughs> why not 30 million? Although I fully expect the transfer market to be contracted once the transfer window opens again. And I'll come to that point about the transfers and what I expect Manchester United to be doing once the window does open at the end of the season. Because I travelled all around Europe last weekend, I went to different games in Barcelona, in Seville. I was supposed to be going to San Sebastian, but the game was shifted and I didn't get there in the end anyway. I woke up in the morning in Seville after seeing Sevilla be uh, lose to Dortmund 3-2. Um, Haaland was the absolute star. I also watched Jude Bellingham, who United wanted and didn't get very closely. I watched Jadon Sancho, who United wanted and didn't get very closely. And I watched Haaland, who United wanted and didn't get very closely. Then I went to Sevilla Airport and it was shrouding fog. So no planes were allowed to land. So my idea of going to San Sebastian and doing some journalism there and speaking to Real Sociedad fans, well, that didn't happen at all. Harry's, Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were fed up with overpriced razors, started Harry's to fix shaving. Harry's knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they brought their own factory in Germany, and that's been making blades for over 100 years. They've now released their sharpest ever blades and added a new lubricating strip for an even closer, more comfortable shave. The best part? Replacement blades are still as little as £1.75 each. Harry's support great causes too. They give 1% of their global sales to non-profit organisations that provide mental health care to men in need. Do you want to give Harry's a go? Start your subscription with a trial set, which includes a weighted ergonomic handle, their new five-blade razor cartridge, rich lavering shave gel, and a travel blade cover to protect your blades on the move. And for a limited time, if you go direct to harrys.com forward slash united, you'll also receive a free travel-sized shower jam. All of this is worth £14.50, but you'll pay just £4.95. So get the comfortable shave that you deserve. Head to harrys.com forward slash united to claim a trial set for just £4.95. You'll also be supporting our podcast by doing so. Again, head to harrys.com forward slash united today. 
Just before we carry on with the rest of the podcast, there's a bit of Neil Wood. He's in the next issue of United We Stand. Is the coach of the under 23s. is a Stratford lad, and we've done a big interview with him. We're working on the next mag actually, so we'll start publicising that when we've got all the covers ready. And um, it's out in a couple of weeks. Number three, one, three. Anyway, here's part of Neil talking in the mag. Not all players will make it to the first team when approaching a player. When watching a player, is there a moment when you, you just know that they're not going to make it at United or is it something that happens over a period of time and, and how do you manage the disappointment of letting players know that? Um, that's a difficult question. Yeah, I think I think some can start off with some real promise. You know, some can come in at 16 and you go, oh, this guy's going to get to the first team. And it might not happen for some reasons. Some reasons might be out of the player's control it could be a bad injury um, it could be a confidence issue there's all sorts that could go into it and it's quite difficult so you, you you can identify potential but I don't think it's a guarantee that they will make it um, and it takes continuous hard work and hard work and I think once you start to get into you know, or a comfort zone or you think you're alright or think you yeah, I've made it I think that's when it starts to bite you a little bit and if you get complacent start to slack off there's always somebody else willing to step into your place very quickly that's willing to do the work um, so yeah it's probably it's one of the parts of the jobs that you don't enjoy very much of telling players or uh, speaking to them or the families and, and saying you know unfortunately you seek to lie elsewhere Especially when they've been here for a long time as well, you know it's it's. Um, I've been in that position myself. You come through the club, and I, I can imagine these local boys—they just want to play for United. So once you get to that nineteen, twenty, or twenty-one, and you get that message, it can kill you. And I think the club are doing some fantastic work now of supporting these young players that are getting that message, or you know, coming to the end of the time at the club and. Um, it's not so easy to get another club straight away. There's not, you know, some some players will have a contract on the table, others might have to go on trial. So I think it's just having the support for them lads, being there for them if they need you. You know, we do a lot of work on offering uh, some courses or education out of the football side. If you want to go into a different career or have a different career running alongside your football career, then, then there's so much there for them that they, they can do. Um, or, or, can, or they can help with. Just before the next bit, United's next game is obviously against Real Sociedad. And so surprised that 4 0 last week in Turin. I tried to get up to San Sebastian and failed. And it was also a challenge buying Spanish newspapers. Try walking around a Urum Sea and City at the moment and buying a newspaper. It's difficult. When I was in Seville last week, my, one of my editors asked me to get a newspaper to show it on camera. I spent an hour walking around. I was told that paper had been banned because of COVID. Finally, in a supermarket, I found the paper that I wasn't looking for. But I did get to see the Friday versions in Spain. And Ass said the Real Sociedad had been blown away by the Hurricane United. A painful goal fest in Turin leaves Larial on the brink of elimination. And remember, it's Real Sociedad or Lariel. People who call them Sociedad, well, I've been ticked off for that a few times in the Basque country. 
So United have um, the, plenty of time to train ahead of this game, but Lariel played against Alaves and won 4-0 themselves at the weekend. And I'm mentioning that partly because Facundo Palestre uh, made his debut. He's gone on loan from Manchester United and he came on and showed a couple of bits where, you know, he's showed the skillful player that he is. Um, he's a forgotten man, really. And I think he needs to get as many minutes under his belt as possible while he's in Vitoria. Playing for Alaves, who are fighting relegation. I'd like to welcome Ant Shaw to this podcast. Normally, Ant is in charge of the lads selling United We Stand outside the ground. Ant, thanks for joining us. Hello, mate. Are you okay? Yeah. 350 days since you were last able to sell United We Stand outside the ground. How does it feel? I mean, it's a big miss, to be honest. I mean, not not just because of the obvious, what you know, watching United and the like. It's um, I've not seen a lot of my mates for a while, a lot of the sellers. Um, obviously, there's a fa- the financial um, hit as well, because we're not we're not selling the mag outside the ground. So, yeah, it's it's a massive miss, and um, I, I can't wait to be honest to get back in there. I do wonder at what it will be like after, because I do wonder how many people will have got out of the habit of going to the game or paying for it. So. You know, I think it'll be quite interesting to see how many actually end up back there, um, and if it, you know, we'll be selling out every game as well. I think the demand to see Manchester United should remain high, but maybe there will be changes. I mean, just in terms of the fanzine, are people still going to use cash, or are they going to expect to use cards? And then we have the next problem: you can't get a phone signal outside Old Trafford on a match day. So how can we even take cards? Yeah, there was that as well, because I remember selling at the um, City game um, when McTominay scored. I remember thinking, like, COVID was a thing then. And, you know, the amount of change I was taking, um, touching as well. You know, it was actually a, le- a legitimate worry at the time that, you know, I might actually get something with when you've got, you know, all of those people handing your coins that they've touched and the like. So, you are right. I don't, I don't know what we'll do, if it'll be card machine or the like. But um, it, it's something to think about as well. But that's your um, field, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen there. But that's worth, first of all, waiting to see when the fans are going to come back. What did you make of United against Newcastle and, and what have you made of United in the last month? I mean, I thought it was a sluggish performance, but it's sort of one you get around this time of year as well where you know the win is more important than the performance. I do worry a bit about these type of teams like um, you know the likes of Sheffield United, Newcastle, West Brom. Um, there's a clear thing there over, over a course of two years where... You know, we, we do struggle to break down and as a team, I don't think we're very um, flexible in terms of, you know, putting another striker on and changing formation. And I think that's something, you know, Ollie's got to look into um, because I think it's clear that th- these types of teams are causing us more issues than they, than they should really, especially for a team that wants to challenge for the league. United were without some key players. Yeah, but again, um, you know, we're not going to be able to go through our, the whole season without, you know, with the same eleven. We need to um, have the options of bringing these players in. You know, we haven't seen Dan James for two months, um, and meanwhile, you know, we've been persisting with a few out of form players in his position. I'm not saying that Dan James should start every week, but he needs to be one of the ones used, and we need to start using those other options off the bench and sort of like being more um, adaptable during matches. That's that, that's my observation anyway I definitely think that there's something there where against those teams 
we're just sort of doing the same and same again. Um, I'd like to see a bit of change in those types of matches, definitely. What's your sense about the mood? Because I think if there hadn't have been a win at Old Trafford against Newcastle, everyone online would have gone ape shit. And because there was a win, people didn't go ape shit. And I find these fine lines, I can understand why they happen, because I think I was as pissed off as any United fan at half-time, but is it realistic that people uh, are going either one way or another, depending on a single result? Or do you think it's a culmination of that would have been one win in six games if United wouldn't have won the match? I think the, the answer's always somewhere in between, you know, and that, that's a really difficult um, thing to get as a United fan, is perspective. Um, I think that when... When obviously um, we, you know, we lost to Sheffield United, you have to say there's some legitimate criticisms there. You know, we struggled to break down and create chances against a team that are so far down the table, and you know, a really po- one of the poorest Premier League teams ever, um, based on points tally at that time. So, you know, you, you can't pretend everything's rosy when that's happening. But equally, you know, you do have to acknowledge some of the things that Ollie's done, which are great. Like, um, you know, I, I think the mood around the place is a lot better. I think we're starting to. You know, our our, our team, um, far less mercenaries in it. Um, more pressure on them to perform than ever. Um, you know, United are not just an easy um, pay packet anymore. You know, they have to they come with expectations to perform. I think there's a lot of things that Ollie's done great. It's just um, that, that step, which is a huge one, from being a top four team to t- challenging for the league, is one that he's going to have to, co- you know, master eventually. And one of those... Um, one of the things to do that is you've got to start beating relegation teams. There's no two ways about it, really. And City, do you just see them running right away with the league, being miles better than everybody else? Yeah, at the moment, they're miles better than everybody else. And people need to accept that. You know, United have, United aren't in a position where they can, you know, sign a 40 million player like, you know, Nathan Ake, a centre-half, not use him. Um, I know we've got Van der Beek in that in in a certain situation, but I think he's one of the um, ones where we've not really um, had a hit on the transfer market. I think they're in. A, I think Van der Beek's in a minority now. I think we've been good in the transfer market, but I think when when you're moving from fourth to you know title challenges, I, I think you need those like big signing more Brunos than sort of like Maguire's, who's just an okay and fulfilled expectation. I think you need two or three that are, you know, surprise in Excel. And I think um, I think that's sort of what we're missing at the moment. A couple of additional signings where, you know, like Diaz at City, for example, um, completely come in and he's clearly one of the best centre-halves in the league all of a sudden, despite coming in as a relatively unknown. I think United need a few more of those and scouting intelligently and we'll start to see us moving and challenging for the title. I don't think we're there yet. Well, there's a huge Benfica influence at Manchester City. Well, there's a smaller one at Manchester United as well. Matic played for Benfica, Victor Lindelof. Ruben Diaz actually replaced Victor Lindelof. Uh, I've been to Lisbon every single year. I've been to Benfica. I've, I've written loads of things about the youth system. I've interviewed all the people in charge right up to the, the president and hugely successful youth system it's quite interesting when you write about it most people couldn't give a shit and so you sign (laughs) you know you go there and you speak to all these really interesting people and here's a piece what it's like inside Benfica's youth system yeah but who are we going to sign in the summer and like (laughs) are we signing any of them but it is probably the most interesting youth system 
in in Europe and Ruben Diaz, I mean, he was the best player at Old Trafford in the semi-final. And I agree with you, and I've written several times, United need more Bruno-class players. You mentioned Maguire. Is is he an issue, or is it Victor Lindelof, who seems to be more of a scapegoat than, than Maguire, in United's central defence? And as I said last week, United are actively scouting central defenders. I was in Sevilla last Wednesday. Jules Koundé uh, was being scouted by Manchester United. They've watched him... 40, 50 times now and it's clear that United of course are watching lots of different players, that doesn't mean they're going to sign them but if United were absolutely fine with the central defence then they wouldn't be scouting central defenders either No and I think I think this is the same again, sort of um, thing what I was saying about the same things over and over again there's clearly an issue with you know um, the three as, as, a, as a partnership more, more than just individuals I think United have conceded that goal where the ball comes out to somebody in the box and they're all too deep, stood on the, the toes of the keeper. Um, I, I've seen so many, it was give away so many chances in, in those circumstances now that I just feel like we need a different plan in defence. You know, we need a keeper that comes off his line, um, challenges for the ball, that gets Maguire and Lindelof further up the pitch. The other one as well is, is that we look when when we're on the attack, we look frightened to death and too deep for me, um, because for, so when when the ball comes out, we're not we're not winning it as a, you know the centre halves aren't winning it and putting it back in and keeping possession in their half. I just think the team's too stretched in that sense and the, the defenders are too deep. Um, but and again, I think that shows because we're, we're conceding a lot of set pieces as well. Um, you know, as soon as a ball comes into the box, they're just not suited to each other. You know, the keeper's not coming off his line. I actually think Maguire sometimes is, is guilty of trying to do too much. You know, um, you saw when he came when he followed Calvert Lewin in for that equal equaliser against Everton. He's, he, he shouldn't be following him in, but he didn't trust his defenders to to win that header. Or you know, he was he was thinking in the last minute, well, if they're going to score, it's going to come past me, and that's sort of not. You know, you need them to work as a partnership rather than individuals, and I think it's a real problem that. Um, it, as a free, they're just not working together, and I don't, I don't like to. It's really easy to blame, you know, the likes of Lindelof for everything, but at the end of the day, they're just not. The three of them are just not working together, and it is a tactical issue as much as it is an individual one, definitely. You've touched on David de Gea. How do you read this situation, and with Dean Henderson as well? Well, obviously, David de Gea has been a, a, a great servant for United, and. I, but I, I was really uncomfortable at the time that the contract was given out because, you know, he was asking to be the best paid goalkeeper in world football and we were actually in a position where he was letting us down at the time. You know, I seem to remember a really big game at Old Trafford against Chelsea when um, I think he let Pulisic score. It might not have been Pulisic, I think it was Pedro actually. But um, he palmed it out to him. Um, in that running, when um, Ollie first came, he let us down in a lot of games. I remember Wolves away as well as one. And this was a time when he was demanding, you know, obscene money. And, you know, United should never be in a position where they're sort of like bribing people to stay at the club. We should have been offering him a contract in line with his worth. And at the time, he just wasn't worth being paid the best goal as the best goalkeeper in world football. And since then, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer in like these top earners should be judged as you know, they need to be making the top contribution. And sometimes I think United United fans get away from that. You know, we've got our, our top earning striker, Martial, um, not, not contributing. Pogba at times has let us down. And I think these 
big players who are the most, you know, the biggest paid players at United are the biggest difference between City and Liverpool. I really do. I, and, you know, I don't think we get our value for money out of our top earners at the club. Finally, you mentioned Martial. Um, his stock is probably lower at United now than at any point since he joined the club. He scored four league goals so far this season. His confidence is clearly down. And I think he did one good thing against Newcastle. Um, he beat a man who went strongly on goal and took a good shot. Uh, but it's nowhere near enough, is it? No, definitely not. And um, just on that as well, I, um, Solskjaer decided when he arrived that Martial was going to be a striker. Um, so I was really disappointed to see him um, put on the left wing, especially at the expense of our um, the, the, stri- the, the winger we have that contributes so much to our, the most to our play. Um, I'd like to see Martial just just kept up front. And if he's not good enough to hold down a position there, then we need to look at cashing in because once we start putting him on the left wing, you know, when we've got um, other wingers um, not getting a look in, you know, um, and it was really irritating me that he was putting him on the left wing and Rashford on the right because I, I didn't see the benefits of that whatsoever um, to move our um, best forward in terms of contribution out of position to accommodate him. So I just think, he's, you know, he decided he's a striker two years ago. I wouldn't start messing him about, about on the wing and I don't think that will do anything for his form either in terms of not lifting it. Support for United We Stand is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Big news. Front-page news, I'm sure. Manscaped just released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over and at all times. Who knew that smelling this good could feel this good too? Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men Worldwide, join the movement for your below-the-waist grooming needs. Sometimes feel out of touch when I read these read-throughs, but I speak to younger members of my family, and they tell me that uh, below-the-belt grooming is very much the norm. Maybe it passed me by a little bit. Anyway, we were sent some Manscaped stuff before Christmas. It looks spot on, if this is your sort of thing. They've got the perfect package, 3.0, for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. And it doesn't stop there. You get boxer shorts as well. And there's a refined aftershave, which is pretty smart. It's light. It's gentlemanly in all the right ways. Think of it as your wingman for the night to keep you fresh and ready for everything. Looks at wife raising her eyes as a read this calming and inviting and the signature scent introduces a light citrus burst before settling into anchoring notes of vetiver and woodsy with a masculine finish this 50 milliliter spray cologne even has even hypoallergenic cruelty free dye free paraben free and is 100 percent vegan it comes in a beautifully designed glass bottle which makes a statement honestly a huge statement and the manly scent is attractive to set the mood. So be sure to check out the perfect package. 3.0 with all the essentials for your below-the-waist grooming needs, including the lawnmower trimmer and the crop formulations. Yes, I'm talking about ball deodorant and toner to keep your testes the besties. Anyway, you can use the Manscaped Refined Cologne to complete your set. Get 20% off and free shipping. 
with the code UNITED. Go to manscaped.com. Your balls and your body will thank you for this. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code UNITED at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Look good, smell good and feel good with Manscaped. Honestly, it's just best if you look at the website rather than listening to me. So we crack on. I'm sure transfer speculation will start to increase towards the end of the season. Uh, I know that United have watched Jules Kwande in Sevilla many, many times. Watched him again last week. Ironically, when Dortmund put three past Sevilla. Previous to that, they kept seven clean sheets and were the informed team in the Liga. But then they came up against uh, Haaland. Uh, Dortmund's an interesting one because Haaland keeps being linked with lots of other clubs, especially in Spain. But I can see the economic situation at Barcelona and Real Madrid being very difficult unless he can pull in some magical amounts of money from somewhere like Saudi Arabia, which changes the situation. Aside from that, the money's in the state-owned clubs. PSG uh, got money. Obviously, Manchester City. I've got money and I did a piece on Friday where I wrote about them just pulling away from the rest because they're not subjected to the same economic um, restrictions with COVID of other clubs. So United are losing £4 million per game for every game at Old Trafford where there's no supporters and other clubs are being hit really hard as well. I'd expect United to spend money in the summer. I think it'll be down uh, on what United have been able to spend in recent seasons, but then I think the whole market will be deflated as well. United uh, absolutely know that uh, Jadon Sancho um, will be available for less money than Dortmund were trying to hold out for last summer when those negotiations came to nothing. It's up to United whether they decide to push push on that. Lots of other players have been offered to the club, as ever. Lots of agents approaching uh, Matt Judge asking him if he's interested. And I think it's the club's uh, prerogative to work out who's trying to use United to get a better contract and who absolutely wants to come to play for United and play for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So there'll be lots of nonsense between now and then, I'm sure. And from what I'm also told, um, United have got to try and keep moving players out and moving players on especially ones on huge contracts who were barely contributing to the team. So Jesse Lingard's done himself and the club a favour by playing well at West Ham. It's trickier for others, but Ole Gunnar's moved players on, but clearly the team, as we've seen in recent weeks, is well short of the levels of Manchester City. But then how, how can anyone compete with Manchester City or PSG, given the way that they're funded and the limitations of, of financial fair play so and clearly Guardiola is an excellent manager as well so pretty uh, pessimistic times in some ways and optimistic in other ways and just glad that Manchester United managed to put a couple of wins together hopefully another one against the Real Sociedad I think that the Europa League is absolutely worth winning because it's a trophy and the FA Cup's worth winning as well and that's a trophy and these things matter and in the best case scenario United will reach a final and there'll be fans in that final but we can all dream of a bright future we'll keep on doing podcasts thanks for 
listening to this one. Thanks for subscribing to United We Stand fanzine, giving us overwhelming support since we've been unable to sell the mag outside the ground. We've got record subscription levels, both for print and digital. And we need them, to be honest, because we don't have the, the ground sales and the shop sales are down. So really appreciate your support. Until next time, goodbye.